to go to the coolest children's church, then today's the day because I'm your teacher. You guys ready? For everybody else. What? That's fair. For everybody else, turn to Revelation chapter 2. And I'll bring that kind of energy. (laughs) Next week, um, the youth, as well as myself and some other volunteers, will be at the Strength to Stand conference in Pigeon Forge. So I will not be here, but um, my friend and your brother in Christ, Al Haywood, who's our local area missionary. He runs a Christian counseling facility here in town. He's going to be filling the pulpit in my stead, um, so please look forward to that. He does an excellent job whenever he brings the word. After that, we were going to begin the year by getting into the book of Mark. Now, for the past month or so, some of you have only been coming for that long. Some of you are just visiting for the first time today. Typically, when we uh, go through... Um, the Bible, when, when, we're, when I preach, we go verse by verse through a book. And we took a pause on that um, during the month of December as we led up to Christmas. We took a hard look at peace. Today we're going to be taking a hard look at us as a church. But after that, uh, the week after next, we will be returning to that verse by verse walk. And it will be the first time in, since I've become pastor that we have gone verse through verse, verse by verse through a gospel, and I'm very, very excited by that. So what a wonderful way to kick off the year and work through that by looking at the life and the works of Christ himself. This week, uh, the last time I spoke um, was right after our Christmas service. Uh, The choir came up. They led us in a wonderful time of worship. And then I shared with you guys a, a personal challenge for myself as well as for you to live our lives according to the promises that God has made for us where I'm no longer going to uh, rely on myself in the face of my fear, rely on myself in the face of my shame. I'm going to put my trust wholly in the promises that God has given us and, and give those things over to him. And today I want to talk to you about how we as a church in our actions, in our deeds, in our worship, and as who we are individually and as a whole together, how we are to give our lives to God in in everything that we do, but especially in the things that we do in representing the body of Christ, his church, his bride, together as a group. Now, to illustrate that, what we're going to do is we're going to hop and skip through um, the seven letters to the churches here in Revelation. We're going to see where we measure and how we fit and where we are. Because at the end of these letters and all throughout, it says this, um, Revelation chapter 3, verse 22. It says, let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. That word therefore says, it's an an indefinite verb. That means it is continuously going. This is something that God and Christ spoke to the churches and continues to speak to them today. So these are not letters to churches that have come and gone. This is a letter to us as God's church here and now. Because we need to center in on what the purpose of our church is. 
these past two years, we've gone through a phase of just getting by to last year, kind of knocking the rust off. And now, what are we going to do with what God has given us, with the freedom, the removal of any restrictions and these things? Like, how are we going to look moving forward as a church and as a body? Where is that going to put us two, three, four years down the line? Who are we as God's people here at New Union? And we're going to do this through focusing on what is here, having some centered times of prayer for things moving forward, and then we'll move on with our day. But as for that, let us begin our time of worship with prayer. Father God, just as your son taught us to pray, Lord, as we work through these things, as we pray to receive your will and your guidance, God, let us just say, let your kingdom come and let your will be done here as in heaven. God, humble us where we need to be humbled, convict us where we need that, and God, just break us if that is the mold that you would need us to fit to rebuild us into more of an image of Christ, God, because what is a church other than a collection of sinners who are seeking to follow you and who need to be shepherded by your word and by your spirit to become more like Christ? And God, we can try to make it so many other things from a social club to a gathering to a band to any of these things, God. But let us make it what you ordained and created it for it to be, God. Something wholly centered around you. Something guided and emboldened and empowered by your spirit. And something that has to desperately cling to your word to know where it is at and what it is for and where to go from there. God, let us be wholly reliant upon you. God, as we seek missions and leaders and servants, and God, just help us to be more faithful this year in every aspect of our lives. But in this, what should be most central in our identity in you and Christ as Christians, as your servants, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, God, give us a strong foundation here. And give us a strong foundation as a church built upon your son, Jesus Christ, our cornerstone, our rock. And God, from that, let us work in your will to build your kingdom, following your purposes by your power alone. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The first letter in chapter 2. The letter to Ephesus. Now, like I said, we're going to hop and skip kind of through these very fast. We're not going to go into an intricate thing on each and every one because there's just some highlights, almost a 10,000 foot view, almost like what you would see as you were driving by these churches in your car. Like, let us get a perspective on that and on what these churches were going through and how we relate to them today. It says this, uh, verse 2 in chapter 2. It says, I know your works. This is Christ through the Spirit speaking to this church. He says, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. So they have been faithful, they have tested, they have seen, and in their works and in their labor and their endurance, God has recognized them. He says this in verse 3, I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, the name of Jesus, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had 
at first. The love that you had at first. When looking at this, it draws me to two different types of love that Christ draws us to. One is that he commands us, you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Is this the love that they have abandoned? Is this the love that they have forgotten? Or is it the love that when Christ is speaking to Peter, Christ came back after the resurrection. We see this in John chapter 21. He's hanging out with his boys. They're having a fish fry on the beach. And after they had eaten, he sits down with Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Now, this was after Peter had denied him three times before his crucifixion. And here we see Peter saying, yes, Lord, I love you. And what does he call him to do? He says, not apologize to me, not bow down, like, don't you remember what you did? No, if you love me, Peter, despite the sins that you have committed, despite the ways that you were unfaithful to me, if you love me, then you will feed my sheep. That means the ministering of the gospel, the caring of the people, the care of the flock. Like Peter is such a foundational part of the church, the rock upon which will never move. Like this is what Christ commanded him. If you will love me, then you will feed my sheep. Is this the love that the people here in Ephesus, this church, had abandoned? We're uncertain. We don't know. We're not going to dig in all the way. But is it that personal personal faithfulness with all of their heart and with all of their soul and with all of their mind have they stopped loving the Lord as they had at first or is it because they have stopped showing Christ the love that he demands by when he asked them just to feed his sheep in ministry and in service in humility is that what they've done he, and he says this he challenges them in verse 5 Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent. That's a word we're going to see over and over and over again in these letters. A calling to the church, not just a calling to sinners who need to be saved, but a calling to even those in the church as they pursue to live as Christ has called for them to, as they pursue to be his church and his bride. He calls for us to repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, this is not a specific thing to one person in that church, but to that church as a whole, that he will remove them from its place unless they repent. Maybe this is why we see Hundreds and thousands of churches each and every year who have to close their doors. Maybe it was a lack of faithfulness. Maybe it was a lack of personal love and devotion to the God who gave everything for them. Or maybe it is because they are not doing what shows Christ our love for him most by being selfless and sacrificial servants and feeding the sheep that he has given us in our lives. So we must be challenged and how we as a church are pursuing Christ. Are we in our own devotion giving him our heart and our soul and our mind? Or are we giving him the leftover hours and minutes and moments of our weeks and our days and our years? Or are we not fulfilling the most important and vital thing that he has called for us to do in feeding his sheep 
and showing our love to God by meeting the needs of the least of these around us, as we see in Scripture, both physically and also spiritually. We go on to the letter at Smyrna. Okay, it says this in verse 9 to the letter at Smyrna. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, uh, but are the synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. He's going to test you, and you will experience affliction for a time. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Here, totally different scenario, totally different situation, because each and every church and each and every one of us in the church are at a different place as we pursue, as we follow God. These here who are poor and who are suffering, who are guaranteed by God, like they are about to suffer. They are going to go through a time of trial. They are going to experience affliction. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison and test you. And what does Christ call in this? He says, be faithful to the point of death. Give everything in your life. This is a, a call and a challenge that those who went to Passion this past week did as David, Pastor David Platt stood. It was like 11 o'clock at night as he challenged them after a time of worship, of prayer, of showing them the 3.2 billion people that are on this earth who have not heard the gospel as he challenged them with this to go to the nations, all tribes, all tongues, all nations. Says this, he said, give your life for this. And this is the same call that Christ has for us. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Because what we have here and now is so, so short-sighted and so temporary. And we do not always see as we get caught up in our, our moments and our minutes and our days and our nights, we do not see the eternity that stands before us. And that is one that is, God has been faithful to us in, despite our ups and downs, despite ever since the nation of Israel up until now, like despite the failings and the flaws of his people, God has remained faithful. And that's what I challenge us to remember just a few weeks ago. But here and now as a church, as we set our steps for this next year, as we set our steps that are going to take us to wherever we're going to be a year or two years or 10 years or 30 from now, Will we be faithful to the point of death? Because what is coming for us is so much greater than what we have already experienced here and now. To the letter at Pergamum, it says this, verse 14. Uh, he, he talks to them, he says, you are holding on to my name, and, or sorry, verse uh, 13. I know where you live, in a bad place, where Satan's throne is. Pergamum must have been kind of like Fannin County, just an awful, terrible place. Thank you. Thank, I know you're all still with me. Good. Where Satan's throne is. And yet, you were holding on to my name and did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, amongst severe persecution. My faithful witness was put to death among you, where Satan lives. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who are holding on to this false teaching, this teaching of Balaam, uh, Balak, 
uh, to uh, Balak to place a stumbling block. So they are holding on to these false teachings. They are stumbling blocks being put in front of the Israelites from coming into the faith in Christianity. These things are to eat meat, sacrifice to idols, to commit sexual adultery. And in the same way, you have also those who hold to the teaching of this other false teacher, this false prophet of the Nicolaitans. So in verse 16, he calls again to this church who has fallen away, who has looked at these false things, who has put stumbling blocks in front of their brothers and sisters from being able to come to know Christ, who has uh, put false idols and, and uh, practices and sexual immorality in the way of their faithful love and service to God. He tells them, repent. Otherwise, I will come to you quickly and I will fight against them with sword with the sword of my mouth, God's word. So repent. And again, it says in verse 17, let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, the power, the sustenance to be able to move on and provide it. Just as he provided for those who were in the wilderness those 40 years, uh, he will again provide for those who will remain faithful, who will fight the faithful battles. And then we hear the letter to the church at Thyatira. He says this in verse 19. Again, we're hopping and skipping. I would love to spend time just looking at like verse 18 when it's describing all the different ways that we can view and understand Christ. Uh, write to the angel at the church of Thyatira, thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. It's a little different portrayal than the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus we so often portray who seems weak compared to our Son, the God of our days and our nights, the one who ordained creation and who saved our souls. <clears throat> Let's look at this, verse 19. It says, I know your works, your love, your faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. They've been going through a time of building through faithfulness, like they are getting better at following Christ. They're being able to do more with what he has given them. And he says this, but I have this against you. You're tolerating this woman Jezebel, this false prophetess who teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. And what I want to point out, we don't have to get into all that she was doing wrong or all these different ways. What I want you to see here is that even in this, even for those who have fallen away, even those who are teaching falsely, who are leading those astray, Christ still has enough grace and enough mercy in verse 21. And he says, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. She's choosing the things of this flesh. She's choosing the things of this world over this forgiveness of what God has for her, over of living as Christ has commanded within the church. She has chosen this, chosen this. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed of those who commit adultery with her into great affliction. Unless they repent of her works, I will strike her children dead. Then, so he who's going to punish this person, this false prophetess who has led his people astray, who he has given an opportunity to repent, but instead of allowing her to go on hurting the body, 
hurting his people. He is going to afflict her and strike her. And because of that, he says this, then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Understand this, the church, as many things as we could stand up here and faithfully say is wrong with it, the church as a whole, broader church, all those who seek to follow Christ, we fall as a bigger body into materialism, into carnal things, into putting our own desires and traditions within services and within how the church goes about its business before what would be most pleasing to God. We put lesser things and we promote that instead of sharing what is the greater things. We create false senses of devotion. We create a place where people can have small devotion to God and hey, that's okay, but that is not what matches up with God's word and with Christ's vision for the church. So things are still taught in many churches today and possibly even in here sometimes that are false and would lead us astray. But God is going to give those false teachers and those who fall away and those who make these mistakes uh, in following them time to repent. But if they do not, he is going to show his love and his protection and his providence for the church by punishing those who are teaching falsely, by punishing those who are Uh, falsely following those wrong teachings because I the then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts and I will give to each of you according to your works so he says to them I'm not a few verses down I'm not putting any other burden on you church of Thyatira only hold on to what you have Only hold on to what you have until I come. Because he is coming. And the one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority and he will rule. And it quotes scripture that we see back in the Old Testament. And just as I have received this from my father, I will also give him the morning star, a symbol of power and of dominance and of conquering. And I'll let anyone who has ears to hear Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And we go on just two more. Let me express these as best I can. It's so hard whenever you preach the direct words and the direct will of Christ because I'm so inadequate to express to you its power and its meaning. Here we see in in chapter 3, in verse 1, Write to the angel of the church at Sardis, thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He says this, Christ says, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. But you are dead. So those, those around you may see like, oh, that is a fruitful church. They are a people that are on fire for God. They are loving him. They are serving him. Christ says, I know your works. Christ sees our hearts and our minds. And despite whatever mask we put on, despite whatever falsehood we portray to fit into the culture, to fit into the Bible Belt scene, like he sees what is inside and he says that you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains which is about to die. For I have not found your works complete before my God. 
Christ sees and he judges and he protects and he disciplines and he guides his church. He says, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. And that's the challenge that we have today. Remember then what we have received, what we have heard, all tied up in this word of God and in the spirit that is within us. Keep it. Keep these commands. Uh, We see in Matthew chapter 28, we see at the end of Mark this challenge, this great commission that if you're a good little Baptist, you probably know. But it's to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And after that part, it's like, man, that sounds real good. But after that part, it says, teaching them to follow all that I have commanded. It's what we're to cling to. It's what we're to live by, not just on the promises of faithfulness and goodness that God has given us where we can have hope and joy and peace in our lives, but in the commands that he has given us, these boundaries, these things that are to set us apart from the world, that are to set us apart from the old death that we used to live in, that old flesh, that old sin, and into this new life that we're going to begin now here on this earth, mature through, through sanctification, through the power of the Spirit, and through God's will, and that we're going to live in in eternity in God's presence by his will and to his glory. Thank you. But some of us are dead even though we look alive. It says this in verse 5. Verse 3. If you are not alert, if you're not awake, if you're dead inside, I will come like a thief. And you have no idea what hour I will come upon you. Listen, this time could be any time. And that is why, like, this is Christ calling to re- for you to wake up, for you to repent, and for you to begin living the life that he has for you, to accept this gift of salvation, of grace and mercy for all that you could not pay for on your own. And he says, but you have a few people in Sardis, who have not defiled their clothes. They have been faithful. And they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. And in the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes. And I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches is that those who submit themselves before a holy and righteous God who put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, these are the ones that he will dress in white, and these are the ones in which he will speak up in their name before God the Father and before all the hosts of angels. And finally, the letter to Philadelphia. verse 8 it says I know your works look I've placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have but little power yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name because you have kept my word verse 10 because you have kept my command to endure I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I'm not a prophet. I don't know 
every mystery of God or everything that scripture says. And I don't know if this was something that has occurred or is yet to occur or that occurs still. But if we take a look at this past year, if we take a look on all that have fallen away, all that have deconstructed their faith, all who have chosen not to return to the body of Christ, is this not an hour of testing that we have gone through for the whole world to test those who live on earth? I don't know. But I do know this. Christ says in verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. So despite all these tests, all these ways that our faiths may have struggled over these past three years, maybe the isolation brought on depression or high anxiety, maybe it brought us a sense of distrust in every authority on this heaven and, uh, or on this earth, which made us question the authority that sits in heaven. Maybe just the lack of faith and, and being able to trust the things that you're being told over and over in these news outlets that are just trying to get the biggest headline, that are just trying to make the dollar because they've got to say something 24-7, 365 in order to get their paychecks. Maybe that has made you question and distrust everything that you hear. So despite however you were tested, despite however you were challenged these past couple years, we can all hold on to this truth. Jesus says, I am coming soon. Hold on. Finally, the letter to the church at Laodicea. Verse 15. He says, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've become wealthy and I need nothing. And you don't realize, this is from Christ, he says, you don't realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor. You are blind and you are naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, this pureness, this life, this precious and perfect gift. Take it from Christ, the only one who can give it to you so that you may be rich. White clothes that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed an ointment to spread over your eyes that you may see as many as I love and this is again over and over as he says I know your works to these churches and he calls for them to repent this is a summary of what we see that he has done for them he says as many as I love I rebuke and I discipline so be zealous and repent see as a faithful father would discipline their children, as a, a loving uh, father would do so, as many as I love, Christ says, I rebuke and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. 
as the power of the gospel. And so let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches and what the Spirit says to us as a church even today. So if we begin to look as we step away from this, as we take from it maybe where you're at through conviction and through humility as we worked through these different issues, these different challenges that Christ had laid upon these churches. We see a common thing that we need to repent. God has seen our works. God knows our hearts and minds. And though he judges the church, he sees us as a whole. He sees us as a whole. But the health of a church is also seen by those who are weakest amongst it. And that's not a call for us to go on a witch hunt and find out who's not been reading their Bible every day and put them to task. It's a call for each and every one of us to repent and to submit and to humble ourselves and and take a hard look as we begin this year on an individual level at where we are at in our faith and our following with God. Have we left behind the love that we first had? Have we put idols and sexual morality and the things of this world in front of our faith and our walk with God? Have we fallen away to false teaching, false doctrine that has put us in an idle state of believing we're doing what is right and yet not pursuing God the way that he calls for us to? Whether by seeking our own desires or seeking traditions laid up by man and not by God. And so what I want us to consider and pray on is that God would give us a stronger identity on who we are as a church. If we begin to look at scripture and the commands that he has for the body then and now, we see that we're to be a loving community that is centered upon humble service, bold missions, and we're to have a, a time of worship in our lives, individually and communally, congregationally together, that is centered around what pleases God most. Not on what we have done, not on what we feel would be best, but what on God has called for us to do. And the first one of these that I want us to set aside and think about and pray for (laughs) is those within our church who serve. That God would raise up amongst us leaders and teachers and, of course, deacons as well. Uh, That he would raise up from our church those who would want to be missionaries, those who would want to go into the ministry to devote themselves and their lives towards this most important undertaking. Because like our church, as we do business, as we go around, like if I died tonight, we would still have worship next Sunday. If we lost all of our Sunday school teachers if we lost those who teach and serve on our Wednesday nights with our children and with our youth, like we would be in a bad place. It's easier in our church to fill the pulpit than it is to fill a children's Sunday school classroom. And so we need to enter into a time of prayer for us as a church that he would raise up, maybe in some of you who have been stagnant in your faith and in your servitude, maybe some of you who have never thought that they would ever sit down and try to teach a six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10-year-old what the gospel is and who Christ is. But that is so important and that is so vital. 
So we're going to pray for God to raise up teachers within our church. We're going to pray for God to strengthen those who are already serving in that spot. We're going to pray to God as we get all these small Bible studies, all our small discipleship groups, all these going up. Like We're going to pray that God would raise up and put a burden in the hearts of some of us to be leaders for him, to set aside our lives so that we can try to help others grow in their faith, that we would understand the burden and the need for teaching and training for ourselves so that we could lead better as well. And then, of course, we are going to set aside a time of prayer for those, these leaders, these teachers, but also for our deacons in the church who for the past two years have had their legs kind of cut out from under them and how they can serve and then how they can work outside of prayer, outside of just doing what they can. Tonight, we're going to vote on a thing at our business meeting to be able to make it to where we can have more deacons in our body. Right now, there's a number limitation on our constitution and bylaws. We're going to vote that away. We're going to put in place where any man who is willing and who is faithful and who lives up to the standards that God has set aside for that position or who is at least willing to, that they can serve in that role. These are men who are to serve and be leaders of servants. They have the role of taking care of some of the least of these amongst the body. And they need our love and our support and our prayer. And now, if you look in the back of your pews, you may see uh, some of these white index cards. If there's someone amongst our body, whether they're here today or not, I would encourage you, if you would like to nominate them, because we are a congregationally led church in this aspect. If you would like to nominate someone to serve as a deacon, please write their name down on that sheet of paper. I, in my uh, haste, And in my Hobby Lobby handiness, uh, had someone else cut a hole in the top of a cooler in the back of the church. Just shove these cards down in there. We're going to take them up until the end of service or until after service next Sunday. So if you don't, if you want to pray about it, if you want to take your time, if you want to wait till next week, that's fine to make your nomination. So now with that said, let us enter into a time of prayer for those who would seek to serve God. Father God, all throughout your word, you call your people to a purpose. Whether it was the priests or the scribes, whether it was those at the gate, whether it was those who would sing at the gates of Jerusalem, like God, you have called your people to a purpose. Whether it was to rebuild the wall right in front of their house, as we saw in Nehemiah. Whether it was to take up the sword and the travel in one hand, like God, you have given us all a place and a purpose and gifts within your kingdom. God, help us to recognize those. And God, help us to have the boldness and yet at the same time, God, the humility and the faithfulness before you and the commands that you have for our lives to live out what you have for us. God, I want to encourage those who need us just to be encouraged to step forward and to serve. God, those who, even though they struggle with their understanding, God, that they would be humble and they would set aside time to study your word in order to be able to disciple others in it so that they may grow. 
so that they may disciple others, so that your word and our strength and foundation that's centered in it, God, would just grow in this church, God, because it's not just enough to know you and to know your son and to hear the gospel, God, but then we got to seek it and live it out and grow in our faith and in the foundations there. God, please, raise up men and women in our church who would be willing to disciple others. God, I pray that you would raise up those who would go to some of the most precious and sometimes the most innocent and yet the most sinful among us in our children. And they would be willing to serve, whether it be on Wednesday nights or on Sunday mornings, to teach those classes. God, and not just the children, but even our adult Sunday school classes, God, that you would sustain those who are serving now and yet raise up more leaders. Because this generation will pass, and so will the next, and so will the next, God. And though of you have kept our church for a hundred plus years, God, we want to see your church as a whole kept for a thousand more until your son returns. Let us be faithful until that day. Let us serve in the roles you would have us do until that day. And God, I pray for those who would be nominated and those who would qualify and who would seek to serve as deacons. God, like the, your son came as a servant. Your son came and he humbled himself and he laid his life down to serve others. He did not come to be served, but to serve. And God, he served those who were the most sinful, the most broken, those who were suffering, and those who were in desperate need, God. That is who we seek for our deacons to be, to help this church in all the ways that they can through your power and through your will. So God, I pray that you would guide us through this process, that it would not be our desires, it would not be those who we just think it would look good, to let it not be those who are dead inside, even though they look fruitful. God, let it be men who are willing to submit themselves before you. In Jesus' name, amen. The next thing, and I know, I don't know what time it is, and I quite frankly don't care. But the next thing that I want us to intentionally look at and pray for is the mission in which our church has for us to spread the gospel. If you want to know where we are at, I will give you a fact, and I will try to share it without anger, without sadness, without bias. Here's just a plain vanilla fact, that the worst attended Wednesday night service that we had this past year was the one that we promoted for months and that we set aside specifically to where anyone in this church who was not teaching and keeping the children at the time, but where anyone in this church that would want to attend would be able to go through one of the easiest and most unintimidating uh, evangelistic training sessions that I've ever experienced. That was the worst attended Wednesday night that we have had all year. When nothing else was in the way, there was no choir, there was no youth, there was no anything. That was there, and that gave me an idea of the pulse and of the heartbeat of a church. That in these past two years, a church where we have put our money where our mouth is for so long and giving to missions and supporting those who want to be sent and who want to go and then going on missions overseas and locally and here and there, like we have done that financially and faithfully 
And yet over the past few years, we have fallen away from that. Some because of restrictions, but maybe because the conditions of our hearts have changed and we became more selfish and we became less focused on those around us in the sense that there are 3.2 billion people on this earth who if they do not hear the gospel, they will die and they will go to hell for an eternity. Some of those people are right here next door. Some of those people are in the next county or down in a city. Some of those people are across the nation or with our brothers who are seeking to serve them over in New Orleans or up in New York. And some of those are in countries and places that you've never heard of and you cannot pronounce. And yet, that is what God has called for us to do. It is one of the most foundational and first fruits of your faith. That is why after you receive Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, you are to stand before the body, you are to get before the church, and you are to be baptized as a public proclamation of what Christ has done in your life. It is that essential, it is that foundational, and yet there are those, and in myself as well, like there are portions and times and seasons throughout our life where we have failed to do it, even to those closest to us. You are to share your faith. You are to tell people around you and the world about Jesus Christ. And we have not been faithful to that. We have been faithful to let others do it on our behalf. But for us personally, as a church, as a people here, as me, myself, we have shipped that off and gave that responsibility elsewhere when it is on each and every one of us. And this is not supposed to be a brow beating. This is not supposed to demoralize you to where you won't want to do it at all, but this is to pull you up from the rut in which we have gotten stuck in and see that there is so much warfare and so much life and real invigorating life for us to live if we would just take the gospel outside of these four walls. And so I wanna pray for us as a church even though we do certain missions, we, you know, we have we, we, our funding and our people, they go to put on events like the Vogel Christmas thing, the 4th of July event at the park where we have access to thousands of people that don't typically come into this church where we can uh, feed 15 to 40 families each and every month down at the uh, food pantry. Like There are things that we do as a church that are good, and yet we need to use them more effectively to share the gospel and make that the intent and make that the reason we get up on Monday mornings and get here to serve there or take time off or do this and that to go on mission trips both nationally and abroad. And so as we begin to plan, you know, a couple weeks ago, Tom came up here and he said, you know, if you're interested in being a part of the mission team, like come up here, let's talk. I would challenge you again, when we have some more of those meetings, be involved in that because we're gonna do stuff here, right here in this county. We're gonna do stuff nationally, whether it be New Orleans or somewhere else in Kentucky, helping with the relief, but, and we're going to go to the nations as well, wherever we can get in, whoever will let us fly, whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated, like, we will find a way, whether Honduras or Peru or, or Istanbul or wherever God calls us, let us seek that now in prayer, that he would show us his will, that he would guide us in where we can go and take time off from our work or take time off from our hobbies and just put those things first on which God has called for us to do. Would anybody like to pray that prayer for us? There's.
last thing I'll mention is that God has just been so good and so faithful to us and that when we show our faithfulness to him when we step out of our comfort zones when we follow his will for our lives like he will bring fruit and he will bring growth and I say this because like because of your faithfulness we sometime good news in this year 2022 this building will be paid off our church will be in no more debt and we can put that money towards missions and more ministry and fruitfulness from there. God, I just, I just want to congratulate you and I want to thank you in that. And finally, I just want to pray for us as a church that we would not just be people who profess to be Christians, who trust God, but people who profess Christ as we follow him. Because there is a significant difference. And I want to just thank you all for bearing with me through this, through these past few years. And I want to just encourage us like we have such a great future. Because we're going to struggle and we're going to fight and the enemy is going to come against us. But Christ promises, like, even the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And so we're going to close now. Derek, if you'll come up. And do one more time of worship as we lift our voices to him. And then we will close in prayer. Please remember to continue to pray for these things. For God to raise up amongst us those who would lead and teach. Those who would be deacons. For God to bring up among us those who would go on these missions, who would give their lives for the gospel. And for us as a church to simply repent. To repent under the discipline that Christ has put upon. To repent before him and to be faithful from here on out. Terry, if you will.
Father God, just as we began this service, we will close out in prayer. And Father, we ask you yet again, let your kingdom come and let your will be done here as in heaven. Father God, this is your church. And God, these are your people. They were created for you and by you, God. Lord, let us not forget, even in the midst of our possibly despair and of our conviction, the love and the grace and the mercy that you have for us, that you will never forsake us nor, forba- uh, nor abandon us. God, though you discipline and though you guide, let us remember it is from love and not from oppression that it comes. So God, thank you so much for being a father who would not leave us to our, our wandering ways, but one who brings us back to what is true and what is good and what is right. As you, God. Thank you so much for this church. Thank you for sustaining it and providing for it for such a long time, God. Please help us to continue it and be faithful to you. Be faithful representatives of the body of Christ, God. Let us become more and more like him each and every day through reading your word, through a relationship with you, God, and through the power of your Holy Spirit that changes our hearts and gives us new minds. God, Bring us together in unity towards this goal. Bring us together in unity for this purpose and this mission. And God, bring us together in unity as one, seeking to love and serve you faithfully. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who stepped down from heaven and who died on a cross for our sins. God, thank you for the power that he had to overcome the grave, that same power that we share in as you resurrect our hearts and our minds and our souls from the dead, God, and this new life we get to enjoy. Let us learn to live in it together. Let us learn to live it righteously in your eyes, God, so that we may not be found wanting. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, we pray and we live. Amen. Thank you guys. We'll see you on uh, tonight at the business meeting.